Blog Talk Radio. Well, good afternoon, everyone. And I hope there really is an everyone out there. Um, I'm going to uh, do an interesting show today, I think, uh, dealing with an um, op-ed column by David Brooks. And I'll get to that in a second. But I opened up my chat. Now, I don't think I can do what uh, Nikki Starr does, which is talk on the air and respond to uh, things coming in uh, live on the chat. But I opened it up to see what happened. It's a little experiment. And um, let me get back to David Brooks and his article in the New York Times of October 16, 2007. Uh, I had done an earlier show uh, uh, that I thought was interesting, Stories Politicians Tell Us. And when I read this, I said, you know what, this would be good for part two of stories that politicians tell us, or in this case, a story that a columnist writes about a politician. And I wanted to read the story to you, and as I go through it, uh, do a little analysis of it in terms of my own framework, the kind of story that I would uh, use to analyze or understand something that I'm reading. In other words, to put it into something meaningful in terms of the context of how I see the world. So I'm going to read this, uh, and I will stop along the way um, and remind you, uh, for those who don't know, what I said in the first broadcast, <coughs> because so much of this seems to me to uh, reinforce what I said there. So David Brooks uh, and I should say, by the way, David Brooks and I don't share the same politics, but I do read his column. Um, uh, he, he's thoughtful at times, and I really don't care about a person's politics, whether they're defined as liberal or conservative, as long as they are thoughtful, as long as uh, they don't mindlessly say that uh, either the Democrats or the Republicans are uh, the good guys or the bad guys, or that liberals were, you know, the, the stuff that you keep hearing from the talking heads, that uh, the liberals are evil and godless and the Republicans are fascists. And uh, this kind of stuff absolutely uh, turns me off and represents the kind of story that I think is ultimately causing great grief to everyone, including the people who speak that way. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to that as I read this. So Brooks tends to be conservative, but he's thoughtful. Uh, he's like George Will. Um, uh, George Will is somebody I like very much. There's a number of individuals, uh, Crouch, uh, that I like very much, uh, who are thoughtful. And even if I disagree with a specific policy that they might be for or against, the idea that they are thoughtful uh, uh, makes me feel good because if I watch the talking heads now on television or I watch the debates, I really don't see personally anything that's particularly uh, thoughtful. So he writes, A few weeks ago, I interviewed Deborah Price, the Republican congresswoman, in her Washington office. There was a doll propped up against the windowsill, and I wanted to ask her if it had belonged to her daughter who had died of cancer at age nine <clears throat> in 1999. But that question seemed to trespass on something out of bounds, so I asked her about her re-election campaign in 2006. Her Ohio race 
house race had been one of the toughest in the entire country. And when I brought it up, I expected her to talk about the vicious ads that had been run against her. Instead, she talked about the ads that she had put on the air against her opponent. And as I read this, uh, I feel good about that. I mean, you know, if somebody can think about what they've done and be sorry about it, then certainly there's more depth to them than somebody who can't do that. Uh, I was appalled about why, what I had to do, she said. In close races, the national parties send teams of professionals to take over campaigns, and the candidates who resist their efforts generally lose. And now, here I, I lose the lady. I really do. Um, I was appalled about what I had to do. Give me a break. What do you mean you had to do it? So you could win? Um, if you believe that what you did was wrong, then you don't do it. And I don't care that you have to win. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. Because who are we that we want people to win? Or would vote for people when we know that what they're speaking about um, is not what they really mean? Uh, I had to do it. So, when Price talked, spoke about the direct mail letters that went out under her name, she did so with a look of disgust. She said that her friends kept coming to her to complain about the TV ad she was running against her opponent. Her opponent. Finally, her own mother told her she was ashamed of the ads. Hey, baby, so pull the goddamn ads. Aren't you in control? Who's in control? You had to do it. You're now describing yourself as a puppet. A puppet. You're not responsible. The ad men are responsible. And you have to do it, otherwise you won't win. I have to ask these politicians, and again, I don't know, I don't have access to these people. What is it that you do win if you win under those circumstances? What is it in the Bible that says if a man loses his soul, what matters what he wins in the process? Right. Her mother is ashamed of the ads. She's ashamed of the ads, but she keeps right on going. The truth is that Price's opponents did worse. Does that make two wrongs make a right? My mother always told me two wrongs don't make a right. But it was her own ads that she kept dwelling on. As she spoke, I can see she'd been fighting the war that the best politicians fight, the war within herself to preserve her own humanity. Well, I believe is that she's fighting for her own moral sense. The story that she knows deep down that says she is a moral and a good human being. And she's losing that. And I don't care, even if she says she's appalled. She did it. She won. She reaped the bounty of what she did. What's real? The story we tell ourselves that there's a real self inside that sorry we do so wrong, what, what's the real self? Or is it the self that the rest of the world sees? I was raised as a psychologist with the story that there's an inner self, an inner viable, inviolable self. And that's the real self. And the job is to struggle and get rid of this external self that society puts upon us. And I have no doubt from those stories, if you've been listening to my show, that we're all put into a story. We're given our religion. We're given the fact that my, my, if my mother ever found out 
while she was alive that there were Republican candidates that I did vote for after, uh, after the party of Roosevelt uh, was the Democratic Party. Uh, I think she would have boffed. I think it would have been horrible for her. But, but growing up means, I think, coming to your own moral self, your own sense of self. And that sense of self, if it's violated, you see, says that it's not the real self, that it's an external self that was given to you, and you now haven't found your real self, which means that the self that the rest of the world sees when you're on television, when you're in public, when you're talking to other people, that's what's real. Stop with this business that there's an inner goodness to all of us and that it stays sacrosanct and it stays intact when we're stepping on other people, when we're abusing people. Um, I've had sexual abusers. The first thing they will tell me, yes, I abused that child, but I'm a good person. Give me a break. You are the person you are what you do. I once had a student who said to me, he wrote me a long, long, wonderful letter that said, you know, Dr. Simon, if you are what you do, then I'm a bad television show, and I think I'm worried about being canceled. And she turned off the television, and she went to museums, and she did her assignments. And the end of the term, there really was a different self. There was a different self. Okay? So let me go back to the story. She preserved her humanity. Does she preserve her humanity? I don't know what that means. She did what she knew she shouldn't be doing. She allowed done in her name. He goes on. Politics, as you know, is a tainted profession. Professional politicians, and he's quote, I'm quoting here, cannot serve their country if they do not win their races. And to do so, they must grapple with a vast array of forces that try to remold and destroy who they are. Now, I want to talk about that piece of bullshit. They cannot serve their country. Ah, I said in the first show, they present themselves to us as if they're saints, that there is no personal story that brought them to becoming a politician in the first place. Most of the people I know, most of the people listening to this broadcast, most of the people in the country, most of the people in the world would rather die than run for some kind of public office, especially when they know they would be handled and managed and the chances are good that to win they'd have to give up their moral humanity and the self, the good self that they believe is the real self. Uh, when I first moved into my gated community uh, and I made some friends and people found out who I was and what I did, they said, maybe someday you'll run for the board, uh, uh, the, the association board. I said, not on your life. Uh, if I'm asked to do something by somebody, I would. But to run? No, I would never run. Uh, I don't want power over other people. I want enough power over me, and I want the rest of the world to be able to do what they want to do. Okay. She cannot serve her country. What does she get out of this for herself? And don't tell me she's a saint. The saints are all in heaven. The saints are dead. There are no saints out there, only us people. And that's a very important point for me. We project to the world because of our own worry about our goodness, that we are somehow perfect, that we're saints. And the truth is that all human beings are just human. 
We have to eat. We have to shit. We want to have sex. We want power. We want revenge. We all want things that necessarily are not nice things, but they are part of us. I went into psychology. It's interesting that studies have been done why people go into psychology. And some of the people go into psychology um, um, as, 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 as people go into psychology are often people who um, uh, are afraid of their own sanity. Uh, studies have shown that many people who become doctors uh, are afraid of disease. They want to get themselves cured. Politicians are no different than the rest of us. Something personal in their own personal story puts them into that arena. And that arena is where their real self will show itself. Okay. Um, they are, there are consultants who try to turn them into prepackaged clones. There are party whips demanding total loyalty. There is a culture of workaholism that strangles private life and private thinking. There are journalists who define them based on a few ideological labels. And then there is the soul-destroying act of campaigning itself. Acting cam active campaigners are compelled to embrace the ideology of meism. Compelled. Once again, according to Mr. Brooks, there is no choice. These good, sainted people who want to serve can only serve if they, if they are, are destroyed, allowed to destroy their own uh, basic sense of morality or humanity that supposedly is there. It's interesting um, when you hear this, uh, that there is no choice. Uh, that's all a defense to me. It's all a justification. There's a wonderful philosopher that I love, who, a man named Levinas, uh, Manuel Levinas, a French philosopher, who looked for the basis of morality in human beings. And he said it's there because we're born with it. And we have to give it up if to lose it. Uh, uh, the great writer, <laughs> how do I lose names like this? Uh, the sun also rises. Who wrote The Sun Also Rises? That'll come to me in a second. But he said uh, before he committed suicide, anyone can kill me, but no one can destroy me. Only I could do that. And I thought that is really a philosophy to live by. So they endlessly, they spend their days talking endlessly about me. When they meet donors, they want to know if they are giving to me or against me. When they meet advisors and their fellow polls, they want to know that they support me or not me. When they think about strategy, it's, better, it's about better ways to present me. When they craft positions, they want to know, what does this say about me? No normal person can withstand the onslaught of egotism and come out unscathed. And so there are two kinds of politicians those who become creatures of the process and those who, like Price, resist and retain the capacity to be appalled by what they must do. Bullshit. They don't have to do it. They are not puppets. Human beings are not puppets. They do it because they want to do it. 
they do it because there is some of something in their own personal needs and story that motivates them to do it and to go through what is being described as a horrendous process to strip away all that you are. An amazing number gladly surrender. Public people almost eagerly dehumanize themselves, Meg Greenfeld wrote in Washington, her memoir. They allow the markings of religion, family, class, individual character, and generally personhood that they once possessed to be leached away. At the same time, they construct a new public self that often does terrible damage to what remains of the genuine person. These politicians become denatured pantomimes. They have no thoughts in private that are different from the bromides they utter in public. I guess maybe they're just happier than the politicians who go along doing all of these terrible things to themselves, and as I'll discuss in a few moments, to the rest of us, excuse me, that we allow them to do to the rest of us. But at least they don't suffer. They just go ahead and do it, and they become the real self that is the public self, where the inner and the outer are, become exactly the same thing. But other politicians, oh, these simulated creatures end up successful, Greenfield emphasized, but also sad and lonely. They become victims of the tawdry scandals that blow up from time to time, and in parens, he writes, like Larry Craig. By the way now, why do they become successful? What is it in us that doesn't become repelled by watching these individuals become what we ourselves would never allow ourselves to become because we would rather cut our throats than put ourselves in a public arena? How many people do you know that can only talk about themselves as perfect saints who want to serve others and deny that they have any personal needs of their own. How many? I don't know too many. And I've known a lot of people. And by the way, I don't see a lot of these politicians going for therapy or, or suffering this way, because if you, if you are the phony that you become, lying about yourself and telling people uh, how, how you're for them, and you're a saint, and you actually believe that, you're not suffering. It becomes who you are. And let me tell you, boys and girls, that scares the shit out of me. Okay. Uh, where are we? When I asked Deborah Price, for example, oh, I'm sorry, politicians of this sort do what they need to win, to do to win but they labor to preserve that inner voice. You see it in every conversation. An effort to ground politics in regular relationships, a capacity to carry on a candid inner monologue. Here, too, I have to ask, boys and girls, how about having this conversation with their doubts about us? With us, excuse me, not about us. It's never about us. It's about themselves. But how about having this conversation with us? And why aren't we demanding it? We know deep down, unless, of course, we're as empty as these people are, we're empty of ourselves as these people are full of themselves, we know that they're not telling us the truth. We know from their behavior, like a Larry Craig, uh, 
who gets on the on the on the God train, hating homosexuals when the probability is he is one. How much self-loathing and self-hatred must there be for a man to do that? What is the inner person? What's left of his inner dialogue when he behaves this way in public? And why aren't we asking these individuals, what is your inner dialogue? Talk honestly with us. I've worked with married couples now for nearly 40 years. I don't do it anymore. It's too painful in many ways. I got old. However, this, this um, um, uh, married couples, one after another, who couldn't say honestly how they felt about each other, who were silenced, who couldn't talk about their inner desires, who, whose sex lives were wrecks because they couldn't say, a little to the left, please, or I don't like to do this and I do like to do that. Uh, th- that that uh, uh, denies relationship. And here we have these individuals who are running for public office, who are going to run our lives. And we can see, and now we see this through this article, that they are stripped of their honesty. They're stripped of their identity. They tell a made-up story. They dance to a tune that's not their own, but it is their own. And it becomes our own. There are so many things. I won't finish the rest of this article. Um, she's not running again. She said since she's since uh, she's now the minority party, she has to work harder, and it's not as much fun. Is that the exact word? I want to say that um, it's harder to get home to her adopted daughter, and it's not as rewarding being in the minority. Ha! Huh. Isn't that wonderful? She's so appalled about how she became a congresswoman, but she enjoyed doing it. I wonder how many things she voted for that she didn't believe in because the party whip and the politicians and the Repu- what the Republicans have come to stand for uh, demanded that she shut down that voice. Well, those of you who are, if you listen to this, dyed-in-the-wool Republicans who have no identity of your own but calling yourself a Republican, I always vote Republican. Or those of you who are Democrats, I always vote Democrat. And there's no thought. It's just, this is what has been done. This is the story I was given, or this is the story I adopted. You're not going to like what I have to say here. But for the rest of us who are left in the wilderness in this political process, um, it confirms how frightened I am about the people leading us, particularly when God becomes the dominant story as it has in the Republican Party. I I really invite people to read Kevin Phillips' American Theocracy, where he says that for the first time, an American party has become a party of religion, a party of God. Um, If you can't feel your own humanity, if it's been stripped out, you can't feel the humanity of others. You can't feel the humanity or the pain or the suffering that might come from the policies that you vote for or the policies that you write. You can't. And that frightens me, that the people who run this country, and indeed who seem to run the world, are those who cannot feel the pain that is created by their actions 
in those who are the recipients of those actions. And we seem to expect nothing more. We seem to accept this. I used to say to students for years, every four years in this country, we vote for the biggest liar. Anybody who would dare tell the truth, anybody who would dare tell the truth could not win an election. Well, if they can't win an election by telling the truth, then we are part and parcel of what these whips and these political handlers and everybody else who tells them how to win, we're part of that process. We're responsible. We're getting what we seem to want. Someone to whisper comforting lies in our ear, even when deep down we seem to know that these are, in fact, lies that we ourselves would probably be deeply ashamed to utter. So, uh, I'm depressed about all of this. Like, this article got me very depressed. Uh, David Brooks, as, a, as usually, thinks more clearly, but apparently his liking for this woman and uh, his, his polit- own personal political leanings seem to have um, uh, biased him so that he didn't ask the deeper and the bigger questions, the bigger question being, uh, uh, what role does he play in all of this? He certainly didn't ask any of the questions of uh, Congressman uh, Price, Deborah Price, that I asked, or I would ask, were she someone I interviewed? And I would have these discussions with people, and I tried to have them with myself all the time. If you did it and you knew it was wrong, why did you continue? If you knew your inner moral self was being stripped away in order to win, why was it worth it? Do you truly believe, do you really truly believe that the winning is worth what it is you had to do to gain that position? Those are tough questions, terribly tough questions for the individual themselves to answer. But this is our system. This is the way the world is constructed, Democrat, Republican, Catholic, Christian, Jewish. It's all the same. Those who seem to lead seem to be able to justify whatever horror they do to themselves, and it is to themselves ultimately they they do it, and to us. And we seem to dance with them in this particular process. And what can I say? Uh, we can hope for better. And maybe we can hope that uh, we'll all begin to speak out and ask these individuals the real questions and not be cowed by their celebrity or awed by their high position, which if you read all of this, they're no high position at all. These are very sad, very difficult individuals. So... I thank you for your attention, and I say goodbye. And again, I try to remind you, 8 o'clock, November 5th, the great and important Thomas Zass, author of The Myth of Mental Illness, will join me along with uh, Dr. Uh, Lou Wynn, who I've had earlier, a show that uh, did have some popularity, uh, the author of Healing the Hurting Soul. So I say goodbye and take care.